What's going on guys, welcome back, welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. How are you? I am fantastic, thank you for asking. We have some life, life is back in me and it feels good. Um, I'm going to do a and a I actually put a, a thing up on my story saying, should I do a topics and story or should I do a Q&A? And everyone chose topics and story, but I'm going to do a Q&A because I've got no topics for you today because, just because... So, first things first, let me set you off how we mean to go on. Oh, that's Gucci. Um, White monster, though. Sorry to disappoint. Let's jump into some questions, guys. So, the first question was, how do you stop people copying your work? Um, He meant training programs, diet plans, all this kind of stuff. Imitation is the biggest form of flattery. I don't know why it really matters if someone's copying you. We're in bodybuilding. We're trying to build bodies. You have to train. You have to diet. You do not have a secret, bro. Um, There really isn't any secrets in this industry. I put out every single thing that I do for free. People obviously copy it. Why does it matter if they're copying you? It does not matter. Why? Tell me. We can't have the conversation. But, yeah. Oh, that's literally going to be my answer. It doesn't fucking matter if they're copying you because you either do it better than they do or you don't. And and if they're copying you, why have you got the secret and I want the secret? Tell me what it is. So, sorry. <laughs> um, why would you do leg extensions before a squat? Um, now, this is a lot to do with mechanics um, and the ability to, to contract the quad. Um, if you can imagine getting your quad fully straight, extend your leg out fully and contract it, that ability to fully extend your quad and contract it greatly diminishes through the workout. So if you were to do leg press, you know, maybe do a hack squat or whatever it is, your ability to actually fully extend and get that quad short, by short I just mean fully contracted, it's nothing special, really diminishes. So we should definitely prioritize movements that get our muscles shorter at the beginning of the workout for example a leg press uh, sorry a leg extension so i always tend to do a leg extension before any big press because my ability to contract my quad to the fullest range of motion is it at its highest therefore i can load the muscle when it's shortest if you think about a hack squat if you think about a leg press you never fully extend your leg and hyper you know you don't actually hyper extend because you don't want to have that load through your joints so you actually don't get your quad short you don't get your quad fully contracted um and then actually the ability is taking is it is taken away after those so it makes a lot of sense to actually load it in that shortest range of motion first because then when you go to work in the mid and the lengthened range, which is essentially just not fully contracted, um, you've still got a lot of output there. You've still got a lot of ability to contract there. Um, and we're not taking away from that ability um, at all. So generally speaking, try get a muscle short first. The same thing with lats, pecs, uh, hamstrings. Like I would do like a hamstring curl first. I'll do like a pec deck first. Um, and I'll do like a pullover first because the ability to get the muscle fully contracted is at, is at its highest at the beginning of the workout and then it diminishes as you go through. Um, so it makes sense to program that way, which is why uh, people would do it. People call it pre-exhausting and all this. It's, it's literally just getting the top range of the motion, the shortest part, fully contracted. Um, there's nothing special to it. That is literally the science behind it.
Um, what do I see more engagement from YouTube, Instagram, and what's best? Um, I personally think that YouTube is the most valuable um, because they're investing in your personality and you as a person. You get a lot more. Um, you get that feel for someone, you know. Like I, I, I watch YouTube and I have that connection to the people that I watch because I, I see their life, I see what they're doing, I see how they talk. You can tell if they're real or fake, and you, and you, you like them as a person, right, on YouTube. So you're much more you're probably much more likely to be loyal to that person um, because you feel like you know them. So I'd say that YouTube is probably the most important um, and actually for me at the moment probably drives the most engagement because I get fifteen to 20,000 views on a video. Um, I probably get two and a half to 3,000 likes on, on a photo, you know, with maybe 100 comments and whatnot. Um, but I would say all of them are valuable. If you're asking me this question to say, which one should I do? Do them both. Do Instagram, do Twitter, do Facebook, do, you know, do YouTube and see which one works. See which one works for you because not everyone has the personality for it. Not everyone has the ability to pick up a camera and just be natural. It comes over as fake sometimes. So maybe you're not a YouTuber. That's fine. But maybe you can be an amazing Instagrammer. You know, there are some guys who are making millions on Instagram and solely Instagram. People that are making millions on Twitter and solely Twitter. You've just got to trial and error these things. For example, I tried Twitter. It didn't really pick up for me. So I kind of leave it. And I'm not really big into tweeting and stuff. But I know that a lot of, a lot of guys are. Um, you just got to find your niche and find what works for you. And, and then just have at it. And then don't stop. Um, so for right now, I'd say more, the most engagement for me is probably probably YouTube. Um, but YouTube and Instagram together are a force for sure. Um, my girlfriend has just ended my relationship. We're four years into it. Dude, I feel you. I've been there. It's fucking horrible. It's just like every single little good thing that you can imagine you had with that person will not leave your brain. Um, but I urge you, if it's really done... I urge you to think about the negative things. There is a reason why you broke up. There is a reason why she broke up with you. And it may be your fault. It may be her fault. It may be a combination of both of you. But at the end of the day, if you're breaking up with someone, there's a problem. You know, you either assess the problem and you fix it, or it's just done. And there is nothing that you can do about it. Sure, you can beg and you can do this and do that, but is it going to get you anywhere? Probably not. Um, my biggest advice to anyone facing turmoil, facing a loss, I call it a loss because it feels like someone dies, it does, if someone, someone that you've been with for four or five years, every day, talked to every day, kissed every day, you know, had a relationship with every day, for it to just go and be gone, it's very, very difficult to to move on, to move on, but my biggest piece of advice would be to do Go do something. Pick a new hobby. What were you working on before? Go focus on it. Go focus on yourself. Start doing something to take your mind off it. Um, it's not It's not like a, a coping mechanism. You don't need to be like, oh, I need to go do this so I don't think about that. It's like, no, you just need to get the fuck on with your life. Because sitting around, moping, crying, thinking about all the good times and the sweet nothings you had, that ain't going to happen. Those memories are always going to be there. You know, going over them in your head day after day, the weeks or the days after you've broke up, is not going to get you anywhere other than deeper into that fucking hole that I've been before and that you're probably in right now. You know, instead, help yourself. 
you know, help yourself get out of that hole because not many other people are going to help you. Sure, you might have a good support network, parents, brothers, sisters, friends, and, and, and they might help and they and they will, you know, and cling to those people, cling to that positivity. But if you're not willing to grab that rope and pull yourself out, you're going to remain in that hole. Um, so my biggest piece of advice, dude, or even girls, go do something. Go find what you're into go do what you're into you know maybe you were into gaming before go game more you know maybe you're into the gym go go to the gym more you know go go get on a seminar focus on something else and move where your thought is every single day away from that oh i'm gonna miss waking up to her and i miss the meals with her and don't don't think about that because it ain't it ain't coming back you know if it's done it ain't coming back instead you move forward and you just keep moving forward because I always say this with with anything that goes wrong. You need to mourn it. You you have to mourn it. You have to be sad. You have to cry. You have to do be emotional. That's fine. Spend your time doing that. If it's two days, if it's a day, if it's a week, great. Do it. Cry. Get it all out. But guess what? Nothing will change unless you start doing something different. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So if you're sat there waking up, feeling sorry for yourself and you do the same thing every day, fucking do something else, because it's not going to change, you know, something has to click in your head, for you to be able to change that mindset, and I urge you just to do something, because it, that could be the click, it might not be, you know, and then you go try something else, and then you go try something else, but eventually, I promise you, the key will fit, you're going to turn it, and the door's going to open, and then you're going to be, okay, cool, thank you, um, I'm definitely not like a relationship guru. I'm definitely not someone who can offer like amazing advice on this stuff. This is literally just like personal opinions, personal experiences, and me trying to translate it to you. It could be the wrong advice, you know, but I'm just trying to do my bit and my due diligence on these questions. Um, but that's what's helped me uh, when I've had big, big problems, when I've been in serious situations, just to go do something, go do something else, focus on this, focus on that. Um, when I've had my worst anxiety, my you know, I said in my last podcast, my darkest time, it was just a matter of doing something that kind of pulled me out of it. Um, and similarly for you, just just do something, man. How would you eat if you didn't want to compete anymore? Uh, I've kind of answered this. So I, I kind of, I did a podcast on like living the longest that you can or something. Um, and it was pretty easy. It was like, I'd probably eat like 70 to 80% plant-based food. I'd have like, a good couple servings of salmon, a good couple servings of steak a week. Um, and I would probably stay away from all processed foods. I'd drink a lot of water, I'd stay healthy, and I'd eat as many fruits and vegetables as I could that didn't aggravate my stomach. And that would be pretty much it. Um, I'd focus on keeping my carbohydrates really, really low um, until I had a glyco-demanding exercise. For example, training in the gym, I would then fuel it with glycogen. Um, but mostly it would be fats, protein, um, and just keeping that glycemic variability down. And it would be all focused on longevity and, and how fucking long can I live? How healthy can I be? Um, so that would probably be the way I'm going to eat when I finish bodybuilding. So wait for it because <laughs> when bodybuilding is done, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be tracking myself through that as well. And I'll be putting that online as well. So stay tuned to see what I'm going to eat after bodybuilding. Do you prefer off season or prep? Um... I feel like I'm going to prefer this off-season, this one specifically, because I've set myself up so well um, in this prep, but nothing gets away from that 
10 seconds in the day when you're absolutely shredded you've had a little bit of food and you've got the most unbelievable pump and you look at yourself and you go fuck have I really done this I've had a few of those moments this year and I thought fuck. Like, I've always had this dream of being a, a certain size and a certain shape and I was looking at myself the other day and I thought fuck, am I actually do I actually look like that am I really seeing what I'm seeing right now and that feeling was is like 10 out of 10 you know so as much as prep is hard and it takes a lot of sacrifice and it strains relationships and moods and hormones and all, all that stuff there is some obscene beauty in 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 working towards that goal but suffering for it um i don't know what it is you know i i genuinely believe that suffering is necessary i genuinely believe that having these times where you need to just ask yourself these questions if you can do it and something that pushes you further than you think you could ever go i think they're necessary in life for you to appreciate everything you know and appreciate the good times and i don't think everything can be positive you need like negative is necessary down times are necessary to appreciate those good times and and to understand what good and negative is you know you, how are you going to know what positive and good is if you've got no negative do you know what i mean it, it would just be everything would just be as it is it wouldn't be anything it would just be like okay this is the way it is so you need that negativity you need those hard times you need something that that you're willing to sacrifice and willing to work for um to really drive clarity and, and that is the beauty of prep for me um so it's very very difficult to me for me to say i prefer one or the other they both have amazing benefits. They both have hard times. They both have amazing times. But there's something about getting to that period of just, you know, where I was shredded, no body fat, and walking in that gym and thinking, wow, like, to your own physique, like, it's mad when it's been your goal for 10 years and you think, I've fucking done it. Like, that feeling. So I had that a couple times this year and I thought, and it, you know, I literally got tingles my hair stood up on the when i when i was looking at myself as stupid and as self-obsessed as ego-driven as that may sound it was more just fuck i've worked so hard for this and it's and i can see it come to fruition and it just drove me even harder and it made me more motivated so if i had to choose i'd say prep but i know there's a lot of sacrifices that come with prep and it's fucking hard and and I wouldn't obviously wouldn't want to prep forever, but it's difficult. If I could go back and tell my 16-year-old self something, what would it be? I'm going to keep this short and sweet. You get what you work for. It took me 25 years. It took me a quarter of a century. Okay, obviously when I was younger, I wasn't thinking about it, but I'm I'm 26 years old. It didn't happen until I was 20 until I was nearly 26. October 2018 I will never remember I will never forget I set my business up and I was ready and everything changed the, the flip switched um, and I realized I'm not going to get what I don't work for so I dedicated myself to working for it and it's not even been a year yet and, and, and the, the transformation has been insane business physical mental emotional so if there's one thing that I could say to my 16 year old self you want it Go work for it, because it ain't going to come in a fucking silver platter. And if it does, I promise you, you will not enjoy it like if you work for it. 
There are people who get given things in this world. There are people who, who have privileges above other people. And, and that's fine. Um, it's all relative. But if you work for something, you cherish it way more. And and you can be, you know, you can be a billionaire's son, but you have to work for something to appreciate it. And I'm and I'm, and I'm sure that many, many billionaire sons have been taught the right way and how to work for things and they appreciate every single thing they've got. Much like the opposite. I'm sure a lot of people have a silver spoon in their mouth and they and they don't appreciate the work. And they're the guys who always be looking for more and always be looking for fulfillment even though they can fly around the world buy anything they want and do anything they want they're going to be searching for that fulfillment because they've not understood the work that needs to happen and that negativity that suffering that sacrifice that's what brings that balance in life um so go back work motherfucker because <laughs> i didn't do it for so long Woo, I'm out of breath. I didn't breathe the whole of those questions. I'm going to take another sip of my drink. I'm literally buzzing at the moment. I've not eaten. It's like half 11. I've had a coffee. I've had a monster. We're on it. Um, should we set a limit for body fat in the off-season? In my opinion, it's very, very individual. Um, I hold my weight very, very well. Um like pretty damn well so i can kind of push my body fat a little bit higher because i've got pretty even distribution but there will be a point of diminishing returns and you should notice it. your biomarkers will start to notice it by biomarkers i just mean your biofeedback your digestion your heart rate your blood pressure your your um resting heart rate your hrv all of these things will start to skew when you get into an unhealthy place um for example too much body fat heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, um, insulin sensitivity goes down, um, and all these things will start to skew, and you'll notice that. So to a certain extent, you need to find that boundary to know where it is, um, but also just be aware of crossing that boundary. Um, but to be honest, you couldn't set like a, a percentage of body fat. It would just be a look. Are you are you noticing more visceral fat, more around the stomach, the, the lower handles? Um, and generally just just like is is it noticeably coming on you in fat or are you just kind of thinking am i getting fatter am i getting bigger then you're probably getting bigger um, but there will be a point where you're noticing fatty deposits and that would probably be a case for pulling back so yeah um what is a good starting steroid cycle there is no good starting steroid cycle however i will entertain you a little bit um, and I will answer your question. So first things first, get a blood test done. See where you lie naturally because this will be where you come back down in a cruise if you ever do a cruise. Um, and also if you're like really, really low on the scale, you could get away with taking less to start. If you're really, really high on the scale, you can get away with taking higher amounts to start. Um, the goal of, in my opinion, the goal of taking steroids should be to get the most out of the least. Um, so start super, super low. 250 milligrams is more than enough for 99% of people. Um, 300 if you want to push it a little bit more. Um, and then to get another test done and see what it does to testosterone, you know, and just see where you go from there. Um, in terms of how long you'd run it for, very, very individual. Depends on your long-term goals. Depends on what context it's in. And all that kind of thing. I ran my 250 milligrams for four months. I then went up into a prep, you know. So I technically have been on a supra physiological amount of testosterone for over 10 months 
Um, but I've monitored my blood work, I've monitored my kidneys, liver, heart, hemocrit, and I've done things to put them in place to bring it back down to good places. So a lot of it is individual. A lot of it will be um, where you are before you start um, in terms of hormones. Um, but generally, just look to get the most out of the least. None of these 500 milligram cycles to start. Uh, I mean, you can, but my recommendation is just to get a coach to go through it, someone who knows. There's so many coaches that know their shit now, um, so just be careful with that advice. Um, what split routine and rep range when bulking? The exact same when cutting. Why would you change it? Why is it different when you bulk? Other than the fact that you've got more food and can possibly handle a little bit more volume in terms of maybe like an extra set here and there, why would anything change? Why would doing higher reps in a competition prep burn? Why would that build more muscle? Why would that keep more muscle? It won't. What builds the muscle will keep the muscle. So just do the same year round. You just have more food available. There's no need to change training so often. There's no need to change to a cutting training program or a bulking training program. It's just nonsensical. Training is training. What builds muscle will retain muscle. Focus on that and, and just keep going with that. Seriously. Who has taught me the most when it comes to training? Um, so I've taken a few seminars, actually. So I would say the Muscle Mentors um, Practical has really, really taught me a lot about execution, biomechanics, movement patterns. Um, we call them strength and resistance profiles. So, for example, if you've got, like, a row, you can see that it's on an axis, like a single-arm plate-loaded row. You know it's on an axis, and obviously as you go over the axis the the profile of the resistance will change so at the beginning when it's all the way down at the bottom i'm sticking my arm out here and you pull it it's, it's a lot easier there and then it gets harder in the middle and then as you get over the axis where the where the weight bearing changes it gets easier again um, so just learning about how different equipments have different axes and different momentum arms and, and understanding that the profiles are different per exercise has really driven my training programming up personally and for my clients um so i'd highly recommend to go see their seminar also oh my god i've just burped on the podcast that's fucking awful i could remove it but nah, enjoy <laughs> um also integra education they are literally at the forefront of biomechanics at the moment and I'd also highly recommend to go on their courses. Um, they've got foundations, they've got, you know, level two, three, four, um, and it's very, very in-depth. So I'd recommend going to see those guys. Um, Eugene Tao, um, Tio Tao, he's also another great one to follow as well. Gaining muscle in a deficit, is it possible naturally? Yes, in my opinion it is. Um, there's a little bit of talk at the moment that if you're in a positive nitrogen balance, which is essentially just getting enough protein and getting enough rest, then you can still build muscle. I don't know enough about that to comment on it. I can just speak from personal opinion. And I know that from competition to competition when I was when I was natural, I actually got leaner um, and I got bigger and I got fuller. Um, and that was due to mitigating some stress. Um, reverse dieting a little bit, um, building for some physique. You got to remember that you've got muscle memory, and then as you diet, you obviously lose some muscle. But if you can reverse diet appropriately and give yourself enough calories to to regain that tissue lost, but not enough to gain body fat, you can, in my opinion, you can gain that muscle back for sure in a deficit. So, you know, people are going to shoot me for this, but I think you can for sure. 
impact steroids have on health. Um, there is a plethora, you like that word, don't you? Plethora of things and impacts that steroids have. Um, and let me run through what I can think of. Um, acne, um, I don't have any, I'm lucky. Um, it can have, it can affect your sex drive, it can affect your blood pressure, it can affect your resting heart rate, it can affect your HDL and LDL levels, which is your cholesterol. Uh, we know there's an, there is a proponent in testosterone that will inhibit um, your ability to increase your HDL and decrease your LDL. Um, so we know that just taking testosterone will actually skew those anyway. Um, fertility, you can stop being fertile if you use testosterone. You stop producing um, luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone, which are pretty much key in, in spermatogenesis and in, in essentially just getting fucking girls pregnant. Um, you, your swimmers aren't going to be swimming as strongly as they could be if you weren't taking anything. Um, the moment that you take testosterone may be the moment that you never can recover from it. Obviously, you may be able to. I would argue you're probably never going to get back to your original hormone that you were at before you started. Um, I'm only just speaking off what I've seen out there. Um, if you're taking stronger things, um, they can really affect your kidney and liver. Taking orals, they can really be hepatoxic, hepatoxic, which just means toxic for your liver. You're going to start pissing yellow. You're going to start having liver pains if you're getting too far. Um, you increase your chances of heart disease. You increase your chances of atherosclerosis. If you're using things like Clen, your risk of heart attack goes up. So there is a plethora of risks um, to do with steroids but obviously we can mitigate some of them the best that we can otherwise everyone who took steroids would be dead um so we do put things in place that can kind of can kind of do that um but inevitably the risk is always there and it's down to you whether you want to take that risk people like i was having in fact i think it was the guy who asked this question he was just like what do you take and i'm like why does it matter he's just like, i just want to know what's safe to take Nothing is safe to take. Nothing, no steroid is safe to take other than TRT-based testosterone or human growth hormone in a hormone replacement therapy. As soon as you start taking anything other than those two, you're putting yourself at risk. Now, arguably, you're putting yourself at risk with those unless you know exactly how to administer, how to come off, how to manage your blood work. So, realistically speaking, the moment you take steroids, you're having an impact on your health. It's just whether you know what's going on whether you're ready to take that risk or not so a lot of it's into you um long-term plans of competing i want to be on the olympia stage i'm gonna to have to take this next year out come back undeniable as a pro but i want to be a pro level physique a competitive pro level physique in 2021 um, and come back ready for the olympia stage essentially and then win my pro card win a pro show Olympia. <laughs> it's very, very ambitious, but you got to be. Aim, what do they say? Aim for the stars, you might hit the moon. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, when will I stop using steroids? Um, I'll probably stop using steroids after bodybuilding is done, but I'll probably remain on testosterone replacement therapy and hate groomer human growth hormone for the rest of my life. Um, I may try to come off after i may try come off next year maybe sometime to see if if, if it all's working maybe freeze some sperm if i need it but i don't really want kids so i'm not too bothered um but yeah steroids i will probably stop after bodybuilding but hormones 
human growth hormone testosterone are probably have to be on for life um unfortunately cruising how do i feel it's only been two weeks dude um i literally feel the same in fact i feel massive i feel feel great you know um, my cruise at the moment is 150 milligrams of testosterone, 150 milligrams of Masteron, and I've also started implementing growth hormone, AM and PM split. I'm not going to go into doses because people are going to copy me. Um, but yeah, like the combination of those things is really, really good. Um, before anyone goes, what are you using growth hormone for? Essentially, growth hormone won't affect your testosterone estrogen levels, um, but it remains to increase protein synthesis and muscle protein synthesis. So you can essentially, it's essentially keeping me, I say anabolic, it's keeping me building muscle at a really efficient level um, without affecting my hormone. And it allows me to recover very well from my from my higher doses um, while remaining pretty efficient in the gym. So that's pretty much it. Um, I don't feel different. I feel great. Like I've got higher food. You gotta remember I came off like starving, loads of cardio. I've tapered off all of those. So inevitably, I feel better. I think this question will be great to answer in like four to six weeks' time when my, all my hormones are literally bang on, 150, 150. Because at the moment, I'm still only two weeks post, considering I was using enanthates for <laughs> six months, seven months. Like, that would have built up in my blood serum. And we know that the enanthate half-life is five to seven days. It would have built up. It would take me like literally five weeks to clear completely. So I would reckon in, in about five to six weeks... I'll have some good, good results, blood work-wise, and then also how do I feel-wise, because I am expecting to feel less, but right now I feel great, I feel more, and I'm fucking strong, so I'm um, not too worried. How do you split your fats during the day, um, specifically around um, your workout? I honestly just split them however I like, and I just keep fats minimum post-workout, that's really all I do. Um, there's no benefit. The only thing that fat will do is kind of slow down the digestion a little bit. Um, so I'll just kind of get them in when you feel. Um, it's not really, it's not really too bad. Do you still smoke vape weed? If so, how often? Uh, yeah, I smoke every day, all day. Um, that's pretty much it. Next question. Um, let me think. What did you do before job, before coaching, bodybuilding? I worked for Lululemon, um, which was great. There we go. <laughs> Final question. Does an active range of motion limit you? Um, how far like your muscles get stretched, etc.? So basically, I put up a video of me doing like a, an incline press and everyone was saying, oh my God, you're not going low enough. Blah, blah, blah. So we have active range of motion. Now, active range of motion is the motion that you have, the range of motion um, that you can perform without bearing weight. So if you're on a bench press and you go into a bench press position without the bar in your hand and you let your hands come loose all the way down, that is where you should be benching. And if you've got a weight on your, bar, on your hand, obviously it pushes you further in that range. We call that a passive range. As soon as you go into a passive range, you start to load ligaments, tendons, and passive tissues. Now, passive tissues are very, very strong, so you can obviously, it doesn't really affect anything, but you actually take the tension off the pec. Um, yes, it may seem that you're stretching it less, but actually you're in full range of motion when you're in your active range of motion for you. And we've got to think biomechanics, lever lengths, different bodies, 
are all different. So, you know, what where my active range of motion will be different for someone who's shorter, you know, or taller. Um, you just got to take that into consideration. And it's the same thing for a squat, a leg press, wherever you can get into naturally without the weight pushing you down is where you should stand. Because as soon as you start to load passive tissues, you increase your joint pressure, you increase your ligament t- uh, pressure. And yeah, you might not feel it. You might feel fine. Um, but you'll see 5, 10, 15 years down the line, you're going to be fucked. <laughs> and I'm not. I'm going to be fine. Um, so be smart. Don't push it in that passive range of motion. Be clever. I'm going to end it there, guys. Half, Just over half an hour. I've got a lot to do today, so I need to head on down and get going. If you've got any questions, don't forget to message me on Instagram at Josh Bridgman. Otherwise, guys, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave a rating. I hope you guys enjoyed. Peace and love. I shall see you very soon. Bye-bye.